go. All right, we're waiting for Eric, and I thought he would call. Uh, so, anyway, we were beginning to talk about sociology, <clears throat> and that uh, I would go so far as to say that sociology is um, only another viewpoint yeah. of looking at the same old, same old. Yeah. Okay, and psychology has a viewpoint of the same old, same old. Yeah. And religions have a viewpoint yeah. of the same old, same old. <clears throat> but within the Buddhist context, we want to bring that uh, same old, same old under an investigation kind of view, rather than uh, established as, see, one of the things about psychology that's very interesting is, is that the human mind is dynamic, but that much of psychology uh, treats people as static, almost yeah. as if once they uh, have a uh, narcissistic personality disorder, they'll probably keep that. And there's good reasons to say that because of a uh, narcissistic personality disorder very rarely will get himself into therapy. And so the psychologists don't have much chance with him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But mm -hmm. there is still the possibility that he could fall into a hole where a Buddha is sitting and he may come out of that hole. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily the same person that he went in there with that could be labeled as that personality kind of thing. Okay. Um, or he could just wind up in Thailand. <laughs> because there's enough of the kind of stuff that that Buddha would want to teach him that could... Uh, now, I'm not saying there are no uh, psychopaths, sociopaths, and narcissistic personality disorders in Thailand. But I would say that by and large, there's not very many. Mm, okay. There are not very many of them around. For one thing, they don't get a chance to develop their skills of power over other people. Ah. And kind of the way reason that is, is because to develop those kind of personalities, the individual has to dominate one person at a time, and most likely he's trying to dominate his mommy. Uh -huh. So when mommy can become dominated, now we can go after the maid if we've got one, or maybe we burst vice versa uh, in that regard, depending upon who's the easiest to dominate. In Thailand, kid's not going to get away with dominating one person. The whole family's going to gang up on him. Oh, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a good way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in that regard, when someone comes to Thailand, and, and I find it really interesting that it's well known that some people can come into Thailand, live in Thailand, learn the language of Thailand, marry a Thai woman, have Thai children, raise them up, become about 60 or 70 years old, and he still doesn't know a thing about Thailand. Uh. <laughs> That's possible. I know such a guy. Uh-huh. Okay. And he is steeped deeply in Catholicism. And oh. that Catholicism uh, and his continuing of going back there 
Yeah. Well, hello, Eric. <laughs> I had some technical difficulties. Hello. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome to the conversation. This is um, uh, Agnes. Hello, oh, Agnes. <laughs> and and she's in a sweet place called Sweden. <laughs> okay. And he is in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And Eric, we were just uh, beginning to talk about how Thai culture can affect people that from the West. That uh, and this might be of interest to you based upon old conversations that we have had. But basically, what we're really looking at is personality and how one's personality changes over time whether he even knows it or not. And that people can come to Thailand, by and large, a lot of people do come to Thailand, and the Thai culture itself begins to rub off on them, and they change their personality slowly, mm -hmm. all on its own, without them having to do very much. Mm -hmm. And... When you take that situation and, uh, let us say, um, put it under uh, into special circumstances like uh, a Thai man who was raised in Thailand now becomes a monk and just happens to stay a monk without having much of anything to do with the Dhamma. Yet after about 20 years, the whole place rubs off on him. If it's a well run, if he's in the right place. Now, if he was in the wrong place, that means that he would rub off on everyone else. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this rubbing off mm. actually is described in the concept of mudita or sympathetic joy, but it's actually it's sympathetic everything, even sympathetic personality. But certain sympathetic personalities have uh, a much longer wavelength and therefore takes a lot longer period of time the way that we would think of time but it still has that kind of beneficial influence if you go to a beneficial environment and it will have a detrimental influence if you go into a detrimental environment now that should be seen as direct sociology in and of itself right there <laughs> absolutely <laughs> okay. yeah now I understand. <laughs> and um, it also depends upon the, um, the criteria for what we decide is beneficial, wholesome, and unwholesome. Because different people have different ideas about how you select the criteria to determine those things. But we do have that criteria. Our criteria here is dukkha, dukkha, naroda. To, to, to see the dukkha directly and to come out of it. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's uh, so great for me to hear. That's, it's so wonderful to know about that. It, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's a big one for me. It, it is that we can come out of it, yeah. but that we have to put out the right kind of effort yeah. to come out of it. Mm. Yeah. And that if we don't put the right kind of effort in it, mm. then 
things are going to kind of remain the same if the environment remains the same. In other words, all things uh, together. So in that regard, if you do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different solution, then that's an, uh, uh, a definition of insanity. Some person, I don't know who has been Einstein. Einstein has, has been somebody who <laughs> said, no, it wasn't him. He borrowed that from some <laughs> other physicist. But uh, who knows who said what? I don't think I don't think anything new's been said since Socrates and Buddha were on Earth. <laughs> since then, it's been same old, same old. <laughs> um. So back to this idea of the environment remaining the same. If we're in the same environment, and we can actually change our environment intentionally by going to a retreat. That's a very good idea. But I'm not at all against uh, uh, changing environments. In fact, changing environments is probably the easy way and possibly also the quicker way to go. For example, if you, if you want to learn a foreign language, go to the country where that language is spoken. Yeah. And only speak to people who speak that language. Mm. Okay, it's called language immersion. Hmm? Maybe that's why it helped me so much to go to retreats. It was so helpful to get into an, an entirely different setting, to, to get the, a new way of being and seeing things and being around people who, who have this uh, effort to to meditate and do good things and, and to be around all of that. Yeah. Actually, the best thing about a retreat can be boiled down to one word, and that is that it's inspiring. Yeah, that, and that's it's, yeah. And uh, to add a second word, it would be immersion into uh -huh. inspiring. Uh -huh. Okay. And that's when they have their best benefit. But some people rebel. Some people go in with the wrong attitude and they, uh, uh, they muck around and don't like it. In fact, that's one of the things that retreats have almost become famous for is not for their success rate, but for their failures. Okay. Hmm. And that part of the failure has to do with not good preparation before the retreat, not good support in the retreat, and no support after the retreat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In other words, it, that, that uh, change of environment for that short period of time wasn't enough. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't, uh, uh, in some cases, it wasn't wholesome enough. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, back to the point that in ordinary life, C-19 or otherwise, most people are going to be living in the environment that they already have become accustomed to. Yeah. Which means now we have to take more effort oh. into changing that personality. Because immersion into uh, a new situation uh, that's wholesome is not going to do the job. So we're going to have to start doing that ourselves. Okay. okay. And so we, we begin to do that by, uh, by bending it, kind of. 
always bending the mind basically out of whatever it was doing into, oh, boundless joy to find at last that oh, all of those stupid thoughts don't make me happy. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> And so we keep bending the mind back in that direction because we have grown our society into a society of fear, yeah. into a society of greed, into a society of not having enough. And I think the worst of it is, is the, the hope for a better future. Yeah. That hope for a better future is what keeps the slaves shackled. If the, if the um, uh, prisoner or uh, slave or factory worker or office worker uh, feels like that there is no hope in this situation, that we have in fact lost all our hope, he will be the one who acts. He will be the office worker who gets up out of that chair and goes sits in a watch. He'll be that factory worker that gets off his butt and goes out and does something that he wants to do. Yeah. And uh, the, the slaves are going to escape. They'll do anything to get out of it. There's no hope left. Yeah. All right. So one of the teachings of the Buddha is give up hope. <laughs> <laughs> And we do that under the expression of uh, don't hope for a better tomorrow, make a better right now, right now. How can we find a better tomorrow? How can we do that? Every time I wake up tomorrow morning, it's today. <laughs> I go to sleep expecting to wake up tomorrow morning and I always wake up this morning and it's not tomorrow at all funny thing about that time thing yeah. <laughs> and so where is the future that is going to be better <laughs> and is it going to become magically better or is that going to take some effort? So that means maybe next year I'll start doing the effort that I need to have a better tomorrow. <laughs> but right now I'll just suffer along. Thank you. Please pity me. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is basically the life that people have chosen. And many of them are actually taught that by some religion or other, that you're going to suffer and then you're going to die and then you're going to have something worth hoping for mm. <laughs> after you're dead. After the bank is burned down, now you can withdraw your funds. Mm. <laughs> and so we get these promises and, and, and these ideas that basically come out of religion including the Buddhist religion, I may say, um, seeps into the society in a way that is um, detrimental to the society. That idea that if you work hard, you'll get good results. Because that's not always the case. The farmers in Thailand know that. Yeah. 
and in fact are very, very sophisticated in their water management. It's really remarkable. I've been up in the Northeast and started watching what they're doing. They will actually have um, levels of land. Each paddy is a different uh, elevation so that they can fine tune and meter the water so that if it is uh, a drought time, then they'll water um, one way. And if it is uh, excess water, then they'll uh, plant and manage the water a completely different way. So they're not always hoping for a better tomorrow. They're planning for a disaster. And that's, uh, and here's another thing. Some of the very best, most delicious fish about this long, I mean, a real nice dinner, is what they have in those uh, 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 rice patties almost all the time. Whether there's rice in there or not, it's also a fish hatchery. Uh, not fish hatchery, but a, uh, a fish farm, too. And so in Northeast Thailand, they just got so much river fish. Well, where those river fish come from? They came out of the river. But where did they get into? They got into the, uh, the rice fields, and they become part of the harvest. They got there naturally. So uh, back to the point about no hope for tomorrow is can we make a good right now? In other words, can we change that personality? Because it's part of the personality that we've grown up with is to hope for a better tomorrow. Okay. And every time we recognize that I'm hoping for something or I want somebody to change or I'm going to yell at somebody hoping they hear me, any of that kind of stuff, wake up, wait a minute. I cannot fix anybody who doesn't want to be fixed. Hmm. Better thing to do is just enjoy the moment rather than telling him off. And so that's an example of it. Is I cannot hope for a better tomorrow. Yeah. That this is good enough. I cannot hope for more students. Gosh, I've got so many already. <laughs> <laughs> but I know the meditation teacher syndrome is more, 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 more. I want fame. I, uh, 300 students is not enough. I want 1,000. <laughs> I want 10,000. I want an auditorium. <laughs> I want a whole retreat center. <laughs> and so that hope for tomorrow is always embedded in there. And it's, it's pernicious because it's hard to see. But it's part of the personality but it's not you and it's not me. It's just part of the personality that we bought from the society. Yeah. That sounded like poetry mysteriously. I couldn't hear that. <laughs> I said that sounded like poetry almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of rhyming going on anyway. <laughs> so, um, this, this thing about we can also do kind of both. Both of, we've got to do it all ourselves, and also we can do it in the sense of immersion into uh, a better 
um, group of friends, as it were. We help each other. We nourish each other. We feed each other the Dhamma. We regurgitate the Dhamma. And so having friends in the Dhamma is a way of having, for at least short periods of time, that immersion so that we can be uh, part of it. That's one of the things that I would really like to see grow. I'm not hoping for it because I can already see it there. The only thing that I'm looking for is may more people enjoy what we've got, and that is this friendship. Be able to have friends together and to uh, the share the Dhamma and to give benefit to each other. And this is also kind of the quality that you'll find at a, at a Watt. But you know, I have seen it in many, many places, and one of the places that it's quite interesting to find is in, uh, let us say, the head office at many corporations throughout the world that the CEO will find some young, smart whippersnapper and take him under the wing and train him in how to take over this organization. They like to do that. They like to mentor. Once they figured out how to really be 100% first-class excellent and ripping people off, he wants to <laughs> teach others how to do that. <laughs> and so uh, this whole quality of mentorship is in, in reference all the time. The same thing is with politicians. Once the politician climbs to the top by stepping on everyone else's politician's face, he'll now take on a student or two or three and try to train them in the way that they should go by becoming a politician, you know, of the kind of class that this guy is. And so that also perpetuates the game and that it happens quite naturally in, in this uh, way. It happens in uh, religions. It happens uh, in many places. Uh, and that I'm not talking about uh, just the mentorship, but that everything keeps rubbing off on us. And when we rub a lot, a lot gets rubbed off. And so what the West needs is it really needs a big rub-a-dub-dub -dub bath in the Dhamma. <laughs> <laughs> so that some of this stuff can rub off. It can get out. The understanding, and, and there's, two, there's several key points that I don't think are really um, getting across when Buddhism is getting out. Some of the key elements have to do with this quality of friendship and uh, that it's not a business deal. That's one of them. Another one is the quality of the breathing. And another one is the quality of the joy. That these key ingredients seem to be missing in Western Buddhism, but that they are not missing in the Asian culture. And and so uh, bringing the Dhamma up to that 
And here's the thing, the one about joy. I have seen in the past three or four years more and more articles and speeches and talks and Reddit posts and all kinds of things beginning to talk about joy. That, in fact, is beginning to rub off on the, uh, the larger Buddhist community. And so um, we're on the way. If we can get that one across, that's the, uh, one of the most important ones. Because they've already kind of gotten uh, sati. That one's the one that has gotten there first. And that's actually the most important. So that's the right way to go. Because they talk about, uh, you know, mindfulness-based stress reduction and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy that uses mindfulness. Uh, Nothing to do with Buddhism at all, but it really does have a whole lot to do with wake up and look at what you're doing. (laughs) which is what the real Buddhism is all about anyway, is to wake up and look at what you're doing. Uh, But they miss that verse about smile, darn you, smile. I think that I sent that one to you, Eric, a long time ago, but I didn't have, uh, but I hadn't sent it to uh, Agnes. The song, otherwise I'll send it to both of you. Smile, darn ya, smile. (laughs) Let me see if I can think of the next line. Never mind. It's a uh, it's a lifting song. It comes out of the 1930s, the kind of time when they needed that kind of music. We need it nowadays too. (laughs) (laughs) Then, in fact, that's part of the culture. Culture and the music that a culture plays has a great influence on the mindset of the people so that if you play happy music, the whole crowd will begin to cheer up a bit. But if your music is uh, 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 requiems, then you're going to have a lot of sad sacks around. (laughs) And... um, I don't know what's happened to America with uh, the music that's popular now. Let's see, what are their uh, uh, gangster rap, <laughs> hard metal? I, think the, <laughs> I can think of others, but that kind of goes to the, the point that that's what part of So uh, the question then they, that they ask, does art imitate society or does society imitate art? Which is the leading indicator here? What's the cause and what's the effect? Is all is this dark, morose music nowadays the result of what's happened to culture, or was it a contributing factor for culture going downhill? You're the psychologist. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm the psychologist that'll answer that with smile, Barnia, smile. (laughs) I came to think that one hand washes the other and that they go down the sewer together like in a double helix. Okay, I was thinking that too, but I I wasn't quite sure. Well, that's the better way to go. Mm-hmm. If you're not sure, then be not sure. That's 
that better. That was one of the things, in fact, that very phrase is something that Achan Po would say. He would sneak up behind me and have several different little things he said, but the one he said most often was ta-ta-ta, which means, aha, I was able to walk up right behind you and you didn't even know I was here. Okay, be here now is what he's saying. But the other one he would say is, not sure. He just walk up and say, not sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of put it in that, and I'd already had quite a lot of that with old, old previous training, that, yeah, we got to be sure. We got to keep looking and keep looking and make sure and then keep looking again. That don't come to conclusions that, that we think we know what's going on, that things need to be investigated continuously. And once we do that at a thorough job, we can begin to connect patterns together like these that we've talked about today, about how the personality can be changed. And every time I look at the personality, I say, yep, it can be. But most people who don't look at it, they think that they're kind of stable. We have a whole language set in, in our vocabulary about that. Uh, from uh, the leopard can't change his spots to the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree to um, boys will be boys or that's just Susie. In other words, we're making excuses for bad behaviors because those bad behaviors kind of like built in sin or that they're expressing some sort of original sin that the human personality is wrapped around some sort of original sin. is a, uh, And in fact, that sin is so deep, so strong, so powerful that no human being can do anything about it. So in fact, at the core of this personality is a soul or a self that's somehow broken. And that's the story. And that you need help to come out of that. But the Buddhist version is, oh, no, that personality really doesn't have a core. It's just more like a messy place, more like a blob or maybe even just a sewer. <laughs> but it is not who you are. And that there is no core or essence of it. And that sin is only meaning that you don't like it. And you're making judgments about it. And so we can change. The personality is not fixed. But we can only change it when we remember to change it. Because otherwise, if, we're, if we forget, it'll bounce right back like a slinky toy or something. <laughs> Snap right back into place like a rubber band or something. So in that regard, I think that if we keep stretching the rubber band and it goes back and stretching it again and it goes back, eventually it'll break. And I guess that's what some people think of as the air hots, the one who's broken. But no, I would just think that it would get to the point that even though it, start, it snaps back, it's just really easy to, to stretch it again. Oh. Just okay. really easy to stretch. Uh-huh. But it'll always keep snapping back, but now it's really easy to bring it back into place. 
because that personality, in fact, is pliable. And some, and in some cases, <clears throat> when it snaps back, it doesn't snap back as far as it did or as painfully as it did. That it gets really much easier, that the job actually is a fairly easy job right from the very beginning, and then it gets even easier. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yes, it's an easy job to begin yeah. with, and it only gets easier. Mm. by practicing over and over and over again. When one knows the, how to practice, that, that's, and when one gets all those important things you are talking about. <clears throat> yes, that's yeah. an interesting point because some people don't see the, the level of practice. I have heard one fellow say that you merely have to wake up to the bad feelings but that you cannot manipulate them or chase them away or gladden the mind or do any effort at all other than just wake up to the bad feelings and feel bad. And if you feel bad and continue to feel bad and continue to wake up to recognize how bad you feel, eventually you won't feel bad uh, anymore. And that's his method, which is exactly the way I think that it's... Uh, um, They've got actually a term for it that they call choiceless awareness, okay. which means that they are aware of the hindrances, but they leave them in. Yeah. yeah. Where the Buddha's method is, no, we must take the effort to throw the hindrances out, to gladden the mind, and to be in the place that you want to be. Because if you don't practice doing that, you'll never get it. Yeah. Yes. But it takes that effort. But, but for me, it has been crucial to know that, mm -hmm. that specific thing. I kind of knew it in a way, but it became so clear, yes. And then it becomes right here, right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Very, very possible. It, it just happens. I yeah. think that Eric would, um, um, uh, let us say, uh, sympathize with those thoughts. Mm -hmm. He just sent me a message yesterday on Skype. Mm -hmm. about that. Uh, he got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Progress, yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that recognizing that, hey, not only am I in charge, but that I can manage the task. I can do this. And that gives us such a relief. What yeah. a, a boundless joy yeah. to find mm -hmm. at last that I do not have to rely upon that outside world yeah. to give me what I need. Mm that I can get that on the inside. That is such a marvelous, marvelous, uh, good feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that it's worth the effort. That's the important point is, is that there is effort, but the more effort we take and the more often we practice and the more we do this and the more deep breaths we take, even as the years go by, we become more and more satisfied with this life. This is good enough. This is fun. No place to go, nothing to do. Everything is hunky-dory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we used to have words like that. I don't think I've heard that word in 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
But we have to practice that over and over again, and then it begins to get easy. This is one of the things, in fact, that confused me for several years about why would the uh, Sambo Jhana change the word from right effort into energy? Was this a wrong translation? But then I recognize, no, when it is unremitting, it is actually no effort involved. It's almost like we're trying to get a car to push off. Once we get it rolling, it's really easy to keep it rolling. Almost takes no effort at all once you get that the heavy thing rolling. Giving it, getting it going is a bit of effort, but it kind of rolls. This is what we call inertia, and the Buddha is actually pointing at that, that our efforts will take into effect so that now things are rolling easily, and so there's very little effort at all. It's almost energetic. We'd have to act, if we wanted to stop the darn thing, we'd have to have to go over to the under end of it and push in the other direction to get it to stop. It's really got some um, momentum going behind it. So your little right efforts over and over and over again also build a kind of momentum so that eventually it becomes really easy to practice. It's almost like the remembering to take a deep breath is part of taking that deep breath. They're, they're that close together. Yeah. The waking up process is the break taking of the deep breath. That's how effortless it has become. There is automatic. Yeah. As well as the joy. The joy can become effortless. If there is a God, I must thank him for giving us such a hilarious world. Because it is. The only problem with, with life is, is that we take it seriously. Yeah. And I don't know why people take life seriously. They're not going to get out of the they're not going to get out of it alive anyway. That it really is. It's just a joy. It's a hilarious adventure. And look at all the props and sets and uh, uh, three-act circuses. Right now, the United States has got a real three-act circus going. (laughs) (laughs) Entertainment from all directions. But most of the crowd that's watching is actually quite upset with it. I don't understand why. <laughs> well, yes, I do. I know exactly why they are. Been there, done that. <laughs> so, the um, the world is in fact hilarious, but that's not where we get the joy from. That old boundless joy to find at last there is no happiness in the world because that's the world of those people. But the boundless joy then can be reapplied to the world to find out that it really is quite a show. It really is quite a show. It's an amazing predicament the humans have gotten themselves into this time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, a big drama, right? 
<laughs> that's what everybody thinks. They don't re- recognize that it's a uh, 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 tragic comedy, I guess is the right way to say it. Mm-hmm. But really, really deep down, it's not either one of those. It's not a tragedy or a comedy. It's a farce. <laughs> <laughs> But Shakespeare was right when he said, all the world's a stage and everyone is our own actors. The, the trick is, is that guess what? The audience um, chairs and, and seats and uh, uh, places, they're all empty because everybody's on stage. Yeah. And Ralph's in the show. <laughs> yeah, right, everybody's in the show. They are running it. Tries yes, to they're the running show. the show exactly, <laughs> and and they and none of us realize that. Wait a minute, I can I can leave the stage, go and sit in the audience and watch the show. Just enjoy the show. <laughs> I was wondering where I heard that from before. I've been because I've been telling myself that recently. What's that? Just Get enjoy the, the stage. Show. Get off the stage. <laughs> 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 yes, because what's on stage is that personality. That's what's on stage. Yeah. And that the Buddha has it nailed properly with the five aggregates. The five aggregates are, in fact, our personality based upon our body, our feelings, the way that we process information, the fact that we have information to process. And all of our old past memories and all of the ways that we do things, all of our habits and patterns and everything, he's got it nailed. Guess what? No self in there anywhere. There is no core. There is no original sin or original sinner. It's just a madhouse. But it does operate according to a set of rules. That set of rules is cause, effect, cause, effect, cause, effect, cause, effect. That's the rule that that is there. And everything is according to conditions, whether that's on the inside of the body or the outside. We just go from one condition to the next. And so now we're beginning to figure out, wait a minute, I don't have to run by that old conditioning. I can add a new domino in this chain. Or take one out. (laughs) (laughs) You take the right domino out at the right place, the whole thing may stop. (laughs) But it doesn't matter because we're just going to have fun taking dominoes out here and yon. And pretty soon the thing (laughs) gets really easy to take its dominoes. So they don't keep colliding with each other. Exactly. So that that personality that we have on stage is, in fact, only that collection of past experiences plus the human body and, and that kind of stuff. But there's no soul or self in there. But there is a mechanism in there buried in that Sankara that is... Uh, scientists have referred to as a self-preservation instinct. The instinct that everything is fearful, that things are dangerous, that uh, uh, we have to 
uh, let us say, do things and, and cling to ideas or do things that we're told to do or grab objects out of a sense of protection. This is cause of the materialism. This is the reason for the herding mentality. This is the reason for having territorial instincts of this is my side of the world and that's your side of the world. All of those feelings are in the surface of trying to protect a self that is only a remnant of our DNA and that self really doesn't even exist. But there is the process of fear arising. And so when we stop seeing, uh, when, we, when, we, when we see that and recognize that everything that makes me fearful, if I look at it, I can recognize, wait a minute, there's no reason to be fearful right now. None at all. Then we could wrong. Nirvana. Not so hot. But then we'll get hot again. Never mind. Let's cool off again. <laughs> and then we'll become fearful again. And then we'll wake up and say, wait a minute. I see what's going on. And we can put it back into, uh, let us say, into neutral. Is, that's a good analogy. It's almost like that we've got a wild transmission inside that keeps popping into gear. And all we have to do is just take it out of gear and put it back in neutral and everything's okay. So that's basically the practice, but it's also sociology. Yeah. It is also psychology. <laughs> yeah. And in a way, it's politics. But now you're talking in a way so I can understand it better. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much about that Freud thing and those historic um, uh, theories, so I, I don't really get it. But now I, I get it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, let's call this one to a close unless either one of you got any more comments or questions or things to say. <coughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, very glad to hear about this. <clears throat> it's um, it's well, I've said it over and over, but I'm just finding new ways to say it. Yeah. <clears throat> Same old stuff, but it certainly does uh, need repeating over and over again. And the reason we need to repeat it over and over again is as an antidote for all of the poison we keep repeating to ourselves over and over again. Yeah. <clears throat> it really is worth immersion into the Dhamma over and over and over again. I've Pardon? been finding is the more I've been um, adding wholesome thoughts, mm -hmm. uh, replacing wholesome thoughts with. Um, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. uh, my my mind has been feeding me 
instead of the bullshit has been feeding me the Dhamma from you. Uh, Did I not say that that would begin it, to happen? But as you said it in your own words, exactly. Once yeah. you get that vehicle going, once you start pushing it, it gets really easy. You begin to have good, wholesome thoughts on a regular basis. And, all and also, uh, zippity doo dah. That, <laughs> that comes up a lot. <laughs> is, yes, finding finding a mantra like that. That's uh, very valuable. Repeating it over and over and over again. This is really a whole lot about uh, the practice of the Buddha is the repetition that is missing in psychotherapy. That they just move from one thing to another, but what, we're, what we really need to do is just the same thing, looking at it different ways, but keep back to the same point. And that is, wakey, wakey, feel good, take a deep breath, be here now, have a good life. <laughs> And we repeat that over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, it's good to start to recognize, yeah, this is it. <laughs> and not having to learn, learn it all the time, but it's there already. It's there. Yeah. It's there. And we're going to grind it in. We're going to pave yeah. this thing. We're going to make it a road. We're going to make it a, a noble highway. Yeah. Okay, guys. Yeah. Well, we'll see you later. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. I've really enjoyed having an opportunity to lay down another uh, 10 feet of pavement. Bye-bye. <laughs> 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 Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>